our heroes of the faith make really big mistakes. They have really big flaws. They have really huge blind spots, and often they even pay a price for it. And looking at my own life, I'd like to think that when it all is said and done and I stand before Jesus, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But I know, I know he will not say, well done, good and perfect servant. And so the Bible really speaks to me there. We've seen the story of Eli. Eli, who is the high priest um, over all of Israel. And you have to recognize that for them, there is no like church-state division. And so when they're speaking to Eli as the high priest, see, God is the king over all things. And he, he has delivered his word in, in the law in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They have the first five books of what we call the Bible. And that's his word for, forever there to them. But sometimes he has specific words to give to the political and religious, because they went together, leader of Israel to say, listen, you've gone astray, or listen, I want you to do this, or listen, I have a, a word for you, but we see something very troubling in Eli, a great moral failure as a parent, and his love for his children outweighing his love for God, his love for his children leading him to not rebuke them as they dishonor the name of God, and so God is bringing judgment upon them, and today we see the fall of the house of Eli. Before we go into that, though, I want you to pay particular attention, because this stood out to me, of the last verse of chapter 3, which I believe is verse 21, yes, uh, 21, and the first verse of chapter 4 in 1 Samuel. The last verse in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel says this, The Lord appeared again at Shiloh, For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Then verse 1 of chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And so what we have in Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle is. This is where all of Israel is going to worship, to sacrifice, to pray, to to be with God. And, And there we have Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are sort of ruling over Israel as, as much as one would rule, um, because God is king and they're just sort of speaking the words of God. And so we have this, this, uh, this verse here that says there's now a transition that's happening. The word of the Lord is now going to Samuel, and then in chapter 4, verse 1, the word of Samuel is going out to the people. There's a change that is happening here. And I think that we would be quick to pass over this as being, okay, well, this is just a part of the story. We know this is happening. Eli is going to receive judgment, and Samuel is going to take his place as sort of the prophet, as the judge uh, over Israel. And we know that's going to happen, and so it's just a part of the story. But it struck me this week, as they wrapped, wrapped up the, the Democratic National Convention, and last week was the Republican National Convention, and now we are in the full swing of insanity. The full swing. And there is much American hand-wringing over who is going to become president next, this, this coming season. And one of the things that is a characteristic of, of all presidential campaigns and elections uh, coming up to the actual election date is that this is the most important election in the history of the world. The past 10,000 years... Of human recorded human history is now being uh, 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 come to this one moment in time. Who will you vote for? 
what I like so much about this story is that Israel has been under an oppressive regime for 30 plus years. They've had Hophni and Phinehas for at least 30 years leading the people and doing a really bad job of it. A sinful job of it. And I can imagine the people who are, who are under this or are in the midst of this saying, perhaps the faithful ones anyway, to God, God, where are you? God, why are you allowing this? Why is this happening? And you, sitting here today because of the bird's eye view that you have of how God moves through the book of 1 Samuel, how God moves through his people, can say with God, oh, we know God was working out his plans and purposes according to his own will. That deserves a hearty amen. Applause even if you want to get into it. If you want to be ultra charismatic today, even stand up and shout. Because that is amazing news in this season of insanity. This is amazing news to say that whatever is going to happen next is according to God's Will. It is according to God's plan. And so whether he is bringing good times or bad times, judgment or blessings, it is God's will ultimately as he moves through history, sovereignly controlling the powers and the principalities who exist to do one thing, creates a sort of peace so that you can do the one thing you are called to do, the one thing you will be judged by when you stand before Jesus Christ. Did you proclaim the gospel? That's what matters. More than anything else, not that other things don't matter, but more than anything else, is your concern, your obsession, your words all focused on this, that Jesus Christ is Lord to all of those who you encounter in this season. Romans 13, 1 says, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by him. Remember Jesus before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, incredulously, you can imagine Pilate saying, because Jesus is just, he's non-responsive. Jesus, is just, he just never, he never conforms. He never works out well with people. And Pilate is looking at him, and he says to him, don't you understand, I have the power to kill you or free you. And what is Jesus' response? God gave you that power. I'm in God's hands, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. That's a powerful word to us that we can read Psalm 2 and see it not simply as just a beautiful song, but as the word of God to every nation over all time and to us here today, this word from God to Jesus, I ask of me and I will give you the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will, shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So therefore... O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And then that blessed last line for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. Blessed, though, are all of those who take refuge in him. And that's how we do this, guys. This is how we look at the Bible and we would pass over this. Well, this is just another point in the story. No, this is a revelation of what God is doing in the world. God is taking and supplanting others with new rulers, which gives us great Hope allows us to apply this text directly to our lives here and now in the 21st century in the midst of, of chaos. We can be a witness to God while everyone else is losing their minds. 
while you go through the outrage machine we call Facebook, while everyone is just, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? You can be the person who is absolutely calm and cool and collected because you know that whoever comes to power next, it is by God's will. And you know that you are in the palm of his hands being sent forth as a burnt offering, as a servant, laying your life upon the altar of his will and saying, I wish only to do this, to declare Jesus Christ and him crucified. Which leads you to the second thing. While everyone else in your sphere, circle, or work, or family, or whatever, is caught up in the scandal of the day, and there's no shortage of them, is there? We've got one today. I guarantee you there'll be one tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that and it'll continue on even past the election because that's what the world we live in and people are caught up in this. Every day it's a new, well, did you hear about? Did you hear about? Did you hear about? You can't even keep up with all the things you should hear about. But you can be different. You can stand out and shine like a star in the midst of all of that darkness because what is all of that corruption we have a word for it in church, don't we? Starts with a big G, ends with ossip. That's what it is. We like our ears tickled with scandal. We love scandal. Oh my goodness, we love it. But you can be different. You can be the one that says, yes, yes, that's nice. People in power are corrupt. Newsflash, thank you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because no matter who comes to power or who falls from power, there is only one thing that will save your life. And I have that gospel. I have that good news. And I can't wait to share it with you. That's your call, church. Two lines, just two little lines in scripture. And it gives us a view of God that is so much more glorious and tremendous than every single hour that CNN is going to pump over the next six months. And it's yours. It's yours. No wonder Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or chapter 4 that he has placed the good news in jars of clay. He has placed the greatest gift of all humanity inside of you. This message that the world is hungering, burning to hear is yours. Don't get caught up in smaller things. Don't be afraid of smaller things. Be God's beginning, middle and end. Let's continue to read. Now Israel, in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer. The Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew in up in a line against Israel. And when the battle had spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why? Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought uh, from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. The word host there, just if you're keeping notes, means armies, the Lord of armies which is somebody that you, you kind of want that if you're going to battle and losing. A lord of armies is nice. Bring the lord of armies into our midst who is enthroned between the cherubim. Remember the cherubim are on top of the ark, the, the angelic beings on top, and God would sit, um, it would be kind of like, like his throne. 
And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, because they're the high priests, are in charge of this. And they are the ones that bring the ark. So let's get some maps up here because it might be helpful for you to, to see this. You all are somewhere over here if my hand wasn't so shaky. This is where Israel is over here. This is a zoomed in picture. And you can see the tribes place Simeon and Judah and Reuben and Benjamin and Ammon and Ephraim and Gad and Manasseh and the rest. God brought them across the Jordan River, right? And he gives them this area. This is the promised land. This is the land that God has set up. They are to be his people. He is to be their king and God. He will eventually or sometimes rise up prophets or judges and they will kind of do some of God's work. But he is ultimately their king. And they are to obey the laws given to them in the scriptures scriptures, the Torah, the law of God. And if they do this, God will protect this border. This will be theirs. And no one will encroach on that because God will defend them. He is, after all, the Lord of armies we just read. But as we have seen throughout this this, uh, series, there is serious problems, not only amongst the leadership, but amongst the people. Sin is rampant. The law is being set aside. And so God removes his protection and the Philistines, who are a sea people, invade. And so you can see this is the Mediterranean way over here. And they're pushing in. Now, this isn't all of what's going on here. This is kind of extended to all of the territory the Philistines will eventually take. But this is where the Philistines are pushing in. And they are up here at Ethic. And the Israelites are here uh, at um, Ebenezer. And this is Shiloh, where the, ta- the ark and the tabernacle and e- Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel are. And they say, well, let's go and grab the ark and we'll bring it forward here. And then we'll go forward with Aphek and we'll take back this territory. Now, what's interesting here, and I want you to notice this in verse 1. Did God tell them to go and fight the Philistines? This is what's different about the book of Judges. If you read carefully the book of Judges, God rises, raises up a judge, tells the judge, go forward and defeat our enemies. You might think of Gideon, sort of a famous example. He goes forward and he defeats the enemies. This is how God works. And yet here we have no inclination that this is actually God's will. They just see the Philistines encroaching on their territory and they say to themselves, well, this is our territory. God gave this to us and therefore let's send our armies and we'll go and we'll fight against them. They are just making logical processes and not stopping to ask the question what's so important why is God allowing this to happen Bill was on it thank you you know the accusation comes forward and and we're going to see this as we continue to read through Samuel in fact I actually read it just this morning heard it just this morning on a podcast an atheist who was saying talking about how how God in the Old Testament is just a violent God. He's a God of war. He's a God of violence. He's a God of destruction. He's a God who is racist. He has all of these terrible, terrible things. But I want you to pay attention. As we move through this series called Kings, how often Israel goes to war and God never said, go to war. How often that happens. Because there are wars all over the place, all kinds of killing. But how rarely it is that God commands it uh, to happen. In fact, we are given some very strict instructions in Deuteronomy. Remember, Deuteronomy is sort of Moses' last word before he dies to Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, he is specific in his instructions to the Israelites from God to say, listen, don't go down, to, uh, don't go down here to Moab, which is down here, and invade their territory because I haven't given you Moab. Moab's territory is theirs. I have given you specific territory right here. You are to be my people 
following my laws, enjoying my presence in this one area here in the center of what was then the ancient world so that you can shine like stars in the midst of darkness. That doesn't sound familiar at all to you, does it? Sounds like God isn't doing anything different in the New Testament that he wasn't planning and doing in the Old. Right? But instead, what have the people done? They have done all kinds of conquering and territory, and they have rejected God's law, and so the Philistines are invading. In fact, when the Israelites do go forward in battle and God does tell them what to do, he says this. It's very interesting. In chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, he says, do not, the priest comes forward and says, Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight against your enemies to give you victory. That if Israel is going to face a battle, God's going to give them the victory, not their armies, not their chariots, not their weapons. In fact, what's interesting after this is after the priest gives up and sort of delivers this little blessing, the commander is to get up and he is to say this, has there been anybody here today who has built a new house and not enjoyed it? Who has planted a new vineyard and not harvested harvested it? Who has taken a wife and has not honeymooned? Uh, who is, and this is what's really interesting at the end, who is fearful? If this is you, go home. Why? Because God is not dependent upon the armies of Israel to get what he wants done. He's not dependent upon us to move the nations into positions. He is already sovereign doing this. He is inviting those who have strength and are willing to, in this situation, to go forward in it. Now, this is grace and good news, isn't it? Grace and good news. Now, what's interesting here is that we don't see the Israelites doing any of that here in chapter 4. They are working on pragmatism. They're working on their own assumptions. They are faced with an enemy, and so they say, well, let's go defeat that enemy, because, of course, God wants you to defeat the enemy, doesn't he? Always. I think we're just saying, do you slay, though you slay me, right? We might, we might not agree with them, but that's what their line of thinking is, and yet what we see in their own lives is not practically living out the commandments that God has given them, which probably leads us to a very important lesson about obedience to God. Is Oakland Drive Christian Church, are you sitting here today following the commands of Christ? Are you keeping his word? I know this isn't new to you. I know I say it every week and I'm saying it again because you need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. We all need to hear it again. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Do you remember that? And if you don't love me, and you don't keep my commands, why in the world would you expect my blessings, or my presence, or my power, or my victory? You wouldn't. And so when we are facing this issue of, of failure, of, of defeat, of, 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 of loss, maybe we should ask the question, are we being obedient? But I want to take you one step deeper than that because that's kind of a shallow level and it's true, but it is still shallow and it turns the blessings of God into a transaction as though God is saying, well, I'm God and I'm telling you what to do and if you do it, I'll bless you and we say, okay, well, God, we'll do it and there there it is, that's all there is to it. But think again about what we just read. Israel has been called to go to battle, let's say, by God and the, the guy comes forward and he says, listen, have you built a new house? Have you started a new business? Have you just gotten married? Are you just terrified of what's about to happen? Do you lack a trust in God? Go home. This is law. I would call this law 
grace. This isn't like uh, the draft that says, hey, you're 18, you're going to war, good luck. This is to say, I will bring those who want to go, and those who want to go will go to war, and I will give you victory because it's not you, it's not your technology, it's not your, your strength or your might or your power or your wisdom or your beauty or your glory. It is my power and my power alone, which takes us deeper into what obedience to God means. When we obey God, we in and of our obedience experience the blessings of God for the commands of Christ are blessings. His way in and of itself is blessings. And so when we disobey God, it isn't just, well, God's going to punish you for disobeying God. But because you are rejecting his good way, you are not walking in the blessing that he has created. It is blessing that the accolades of man don't go to you when you do your righteous deeds. Because God who sees what is in secret can reward you. And everyone can see God's rewarding him. It is a blessing when your families don't fall apart because you're looking with lust at other people. It is a blessing when you can say yes and people believe you because you are a person who honors truth and your reputation to them is solid and firm and fixed. It is a blessing to know that whether good times come or bad, when God sees the sparrow and values the flower... How much more are you that you should worry about food or clothes or houses or work? God has so much more in store for us. And so we are called, then, I think, to seek the Lord. Think about this story that we're just in right now. Look at verse, uh, verse 2. So the Philistines come and they attack. And there's a bunch of people who are dead. And, and the Israelites sort of return to their camp. And the elders say, why has the Lord defeated us today? I love that they recognize that it's not the Philistines' power that has defeated them, but rather God who has not been on their side. They ask the question, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And then instantly they have a solution. Well, let us go. What if they had stopped and said, why is this happening? Why is this happening, God? And that's what we mean when we see again and again, I think of Isaiah 55, where it says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Uh, Let the wicked man forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his unrighteous thoughts. Why that's such a powerful word, to seek the Lord. And I want to chastise us just slightly, well actually a lot, but um, chastise us because we spend a lot of air talking about prayer and talking about Bible study. This is not the same thing as seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is not giving God your list of requests, your wish list, or even your needs. Seeking the Lord is going on your knees before God and saying, God, what are you doing here so that I can walk according to your ways and not resist what you are up to in my life? What if God has brought a trial upon you because he wants to mold you? Because there's one thing that I have learned in ministry, Brandon. It is this. It is the seasons where I think God is not doing anything and everything is falling apart around me that God teaches me faith and endurance and his love and grace and strength. And you never see it when you're in the darkness. In the valley of the shadow of death, everything looks dead. But on the other side... On the other side, you see, oh my goodness, God's been doing stuff the whole time. I should have been more faithful. 
What if God is doing that in your life right now? And so instead of praying, God, show me what you're doing, I'm seeking your face and I want to know your will. We're saying, God, save me. God, help me. God, give me. And we're missing the point. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done in my life, in earth, and as it is in heaven. And so seek the Lord. And the difficulty there is that it's so much more time-consuming. You can't do it with a five-minute Bible study. You can't do it with your daily bread devotional. You can't do it in praying to God for 35 seconds before you eat and God help so-and-so and then move on. You have to do it with time. I don't know how long, but I know that Jeremiah was asked a question. He went to seek the Lord and didn't come back for 10 days. It might take you some time. Because seeking the Lord is working on God's timetable, not yours. And God's going to work on his timetable anyway, so you might as well enjoy, enjoy getting on that timetable as well. And seeking him and, and knowing his presence. Because in the end, we will try to manipulate God. And that's what we see next. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into camp, all of Israel gave a shout. This is verse 5. And so much so that the ground shakes. And the Philistines hear this noise of the shout. And they say, what in the world's going on in the Hebrew camp? And then they learn that the Ark of the Lord came into the camp. And they think of the Ark like, a, like an idol which is attached to the God. And so they say, well, a God then has come into the camp in verse seven. And they say, woe to us. Nothing like this has happened to us before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck down the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. And then they turn on Eye of the Tiger and do their best Braveheart impression. Take courage, be men. O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, As they have been to you, be men and fight. And so the Philistines uh, fight, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter of 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel. And the ark of God was captured. So we have massive death. We have the capture of the ark, and we have the death of of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, as we have have seen um, was foretold. And of course, the message, I think, is pretty clear don't think that you can manipulate god don't think that you can pray him into something or give him into something or or make him do something this is actually what starkly contrasts israelite religion i think and and affirms it as as the one true religion versus what we see everywhere else even in jesus time the romans and the greeks you went to the temple and you you sacrificed or you paid money or you did whatever was part of that worship and whether you were a good person or a bad person whether you were terrible or whether you were faithful The God, because of the sacrifice, was forced to give you what you want. Our God expects much more. He doesn't allow you to force him to do anything. He expects you, rather, to hear his word and to obey it, to chastise your heart, to chastise your life, to bring yourself under submission to the one who has created all things. Because he knows that that is for your best, to go with the grain of the universe as God has made it. Why we read in Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all the earth. Or Psalm 115, but our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Or Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases he does in heaven and earth and the sea and the depths. And so, all of this comes to a culmination. All of this sin comes to judgment where we see Hophni and Phinehas die here. If we continue to read on, I encourage you to read it when you get home. But for sake of time, I'll I'll just summarize verses 12 through 22. 
The messenger brings the message to Eli and says, the ark has been captured and your sons are dead. Eli, who is, and this isn't, I didn't write this, this isn't like fat shaming or something like that. Eli was old and fat and he falls over and breaks his neck. His daughter-in-law hears this uh, message and instantly goes into labor. She dies in giving birth. But before she dies, she names the one and only heir to the whole family, which is what God foretold last week when he spoke to Samuel. Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. Now what's interesting to me about the conclusion of all of this is how they react to what has happened. Now we saw how they reacted to the situation of the Philistines invading and they said, well, we can take care of this on our own. How many times have we done this? We don't need to seek the Lord. We can take care of this on our own. I know what to do next. I I know what I should be doing. And we just go right at it rather than stopping to pray and to seek and and they fall fall apart. And part of what they fall apart doing is, is because they bring in the Ark of the Covenant. That's their solution. The solution is, well, let's go and get the Ark and we'll, we'll bring it into the middle of Israel and because we bring it or in the middle of the, the battle and because we bring it into the middle of the battle, God's got to defend the Ark. He's got to. They're treating that object, that object of religious worship, as though it's an idol, as though God is somehow attached to this ark, and if we bring the ark into the middle of the battle, then, of course, God couldn't let the ark fall into their hands, and so God's got to defend them. They are taking the view of God, of the cultures around them, and bringing it into their own theology and worship. That doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? When we hear the word when we hear what God is like declared from all kinds of sources all around us, rather than searching the scriptures and reading Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and all these other books that were given, rather than studying Jesus as he is, not as that meme that you see or that uh, uh, history documentary declares him to be, rather than searching the scriptures and searching to know God, we take what people think about God around us and we assimilate it. We call this syncretism. It's dangerous. It's deadly. They think that they can take objects of religion and make God obey them based on those objects of religion, and we can't do that. How many of us do that? You get down on your knees and you pray and you give God your list. Here's my list, God, what I need. And, and maybe they're very, very genuine needs. I need healing. I need help. I don't know what to do. We're asking, 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 asking. Or do we go to prayer because, hey, it's time to pray, and I know I'm a good Christian, and I'm going to keep on being a good Christian, so I'm going to say my prayers, and, and boom, I've checked it off the list. We have used religion in the hope that we can somehow make God give us or bless us rather than saying, on our knees, God, what are you doing? And stopping to listen. How often do we open the scriptures and read them because, well, hey, it's time to read my Bible and I need to be a good Christian, so I check it off the list. Or we open up the scriptures and we flip around here and there looking for some line of positive affirmation. Like like somehow the Bible is meant for Twitter posts. And something that will make you feel good for a couple hours until you need another boost. Or do we go to the scriptures, mining it to understand the greatness and awesome beauty of the one and true living God who is sovereign over the past, over the present, and over your future? 
How often do we gather together on Sunday mornings because, man, it's church time, so we just go to church. It's singing time. Paul's playing. Time to sing. Jordan's preaching. Time to nap. Whatever it tends to be. Or we go to church looking for a boost. And, and sometimes we all do that. And honestly, I mean, I do that sometimes. You know, we, we go looking for a boost. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a boost. We hope that you're encouraged and convicted and that God is moving in you. But if that's the reason for coming to worship, man, that's you, not God. We come to worship because God deserves all glory and honor and praise. And his people have been called together to give him this glory, honor, and praise. And if we come for anything less than this, we're creating idols and we're missing the blessing. So it's not just, again, it's not just about the surfacey. Well, you're not doing it right and so God's not going to bless you. No, by not doing it right, you miss the blessing entirely. Because God is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And anything less than giving it to him is engaging in something not even worth your time. Man, you can stay home and listen to the Beatles or whatever it is that lifts your spirits. You can lift your spirits any number of ways. But to enter into the presence of the living God is something completely different. To praise him with all of yourself is completely different. And that's what we've come here to do today. Let us not be like Israel who lost sight, thinking that God was somehow malleable or manipulating. Somehow they were able to make him do what what they wanted or needed him to do. Let us not be like Israel who get so caught up in the trials. And really, I mean, the Philistines are invading. That's no small thing. That's no small thing. And some of you are under something heavy that is no small thing. And I call upon you to recognize the power and sovereignty of the living God who holds you in his hands who is working out your trials and tribulations for his glory and for your betterment. We see in Samuel so much. Don't lose sight of the truth of God's power, of his grace, of his sovereignty, and of his working in your life. And seek his face with all that you are and all that you have. And you will know blessings innumerable, even at your deathbed. As we come to a conclusion this morning, we offer an invitation. If you need prayer, if you're under a heavy weight and you need somebody to pray with you, we'll have elders down front uh, to pray with you. If you need to know Jesus, maybe for the first time and you've never responded to the gospel, you've never responded to his message of salvation, and you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and come to know him as he truly is, come forward and we'll get it done. Whatever you do today, do not leave here unchanged. Let's stand and sing the song.